What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week, We put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Oh, did you hear about the great big Unite the Right rally? Unite the Right rally here in Washington, D.C. over the weekend? Yeah, maybe 25 people showed up. Of course, they had a special metro train with a special police escorts all the way. God, what a joke. What a bunch of losers. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Great to see you today. Monday, 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 August 13. Here we go. The Bill Press Show booming out to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Kind of rainy in the capital over the weekend. But I hope you had a good win wherever you uh, happen to be and wherever you are in this great land of ours around the globe. Also, we are there with you on The Bill Press Show With all the news of the day, uh, President Trump won last day at Bedminster, New Jersey. Yeah, miraculously, they got all the White House renovations done in time for the president uh, to come back tonight to the White House. Uh, After doing a couple of fundraisers on his way up in in New York York State, uh, and heading back here just to uh, make more trouble for the American people for the rest of the week. We got lots and lots to talk about. We'll bring you up to date on all the news of the day. A lot of it centered around former White House aide Amarosa. I always said O, oh, but everybody else says Amarosa. I guess. Uh, I yeah. Know. I thought I always sort of called her Amaro- Amarosa. 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 So, yeah. Amarosa Nugal. Uh, Manigal Newman. Newman. Well, she's had several different names over the course of her quote-unquote career. At any rate, all the things she's got to say about this president, whom we might add she helped become president of the United States, of course. Look forward to hearing from you on Twitter at BP Show. Your comments on Omarosa and all the rest of the news of the day uh, on Twitter at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news here on a Monday. You know, yesterday was the PGA Championship, Bill. It's a big, prestigious event. 
And boy, oh boy, did Tiger Woods almost, mm-hmm. almost win his first major in forever. Almost come back. The winner was Brooks Kepka. He won. He finished 16 strokes under par. Tiger Woods had a uh, pretty solid round four to almost catch Brooks Kepka. He finished 14 under, just a couple of strokes behind him. Uh, he still made a lot of money. Tiger Woods made a lot of money off of this. Brooks Kapka, the winner, talked about. I mean, it, it's so funny to me now. Like when Tiger is in a tournament, even though he doesn't win, the winners get asked about Tiger constantly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Brooks Kapka got asked about it, and he said, "You know, look, playing against Tiger forces you to play better." I remember I went to the British Open. Uh, I forget what year it was when Ben Curtis won, and he was kind of making a charge, and you could hear the roars. I mean, being a part of that as a fan is cool. And even when you're playing, it, it's still pretty neat. It kind of pushes you <laughs> to step up your game. I mean, you have to um, because you know he's right there if you fall. So is Tiger Woods back? Maybe. We'll see. He did very, very well it, this had weekend. A good, it was, it was he, a good showing for him. Absolutely. Best, this is the best, best he's done a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, you're right. right. Also, it's Monday. Let's take a look at the weekend box office. I'm sure you went out and saw The Meg, right? I About did. The Megalodon. Oh, yeah. Three this times. campy. <laughs> horror-ish yeah. movie, The Meg. Yeah. Guess what? You didn't see it. I didn't see it. I think we can safely say we're not going to see it, but a lot of people did. It brought in $44.5 million over Whoa. the weekend. It's the number one movie in America. Second place, by the way, is Mission Impossible, which only brought in $20 million. So it brought in less than half of what The Meg brought in over the weekend. Uh, third place was Disney's Christopher Robin, which I have not seen and will not see just doesn't really interest me. By the way, one notable uh, uh, thing here on the weekend box office, uh, uh, Spike Lee's new movie, Black Klansman, which looks amazing. Yeah, I would like to see that. Number five. They they weren't sure how it was going to do because it doesn't have a huge release. It's certainly not as big as the other movies. Uh, It's only in 1,000, about 1,500 theaters compared to the Meg's 4,000 theaters. It brought in uh, enough to put it in fifth place, so... I'll go see that. And the reviews say it's his best in a long time. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Donald Trump calls Omarosa a lowlife. <laughs> yeah, that's like being called ugly by a frog. For Donald Trump to call anybody else a lowlife? What do you say, friends and neighbors? Great to see you today. Happy Monday. Monday, August 13, the Bill Press Show. Here we are all together again for our little roundup of the news of the day, uh, plus our guests and you. We'll get right into it. Uh, and there is, as always, uh, in Trump world. Lots to talk about. Never a dull day, and a lot of stuff on the sidelines. So talk about uh, today as well. So hope you had a great weekend. I'm ready to now, after you uh, relax, uh, hang out with friends and family, uh, kick back a little bit, ready to jump back into the news of the day with our help, and we do it with your help. Coming to you live on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash The Bill Press Show nationwide, of course. Also coast to coast on Free Speech TV. On the radio, statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, and out in the greater Chicago area, of course, on WCPT. Great to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Boy, flash floods here on the heavy, heavy rain up and down the East Coast and flash floods 
You know, here, here's the thing about the weather. They never get it straight, right? We got the fires on the West Coast and all the rain on the East Coast. Just ass backwards. We need the rain on the West Coast to knock to help knock down the fires. So whoever's in charge, you know, get your act together. Get it here. together. Get it together here. Yeah. Uh, a little, uh, <laughs> it just seems to me it's pretty basic here. But wherever you are, hope you uh, are surviving and uh, even surviving more than surviving, thriving. Yes, indeed. It was expected to be just a, the one-year anniversary from Charlottesville. This was going to be the weekend. Oh, my God, anything could happen in Washington, D.C. As the uh, Park Service gave a permit to the uh, white supremacist who led that rally uh, in uh, Charlottesville, uh, which uh, turned out to be fatal for Heather Heyer uh, one year ago. They got a permit to uh, gather in Lafayette Park late yesterday afternoon. The law enforcement was so worried they sent people out in the suburbs to meet them at their at the uh, metro station where they were going to go to metro to come downtown to uh, uh, McPherson Square and head over to Lafayette Square. Uh, and there were cops on the train with them, escorting them, cops escorting them into Lafayette Square. Yeah, it turned what a bust. It turns out there were... Estimates from 25 to maximum 40 people, and there were probably two or 3,000 anti-protesters, protesters protesting the protesters, uh, uh, totally overwhelming them, totally outnumbering them. Uh, it was a uh, basically a humiliating event for any Unite the Right. One would hope that they would just fold their tent and go home and realize that America doesn't want anything to do with their extremist brand of racism. Uh, and, of course, they were coming to the White House to try to make the statement that we stand here with the president of the United States, who is himself a racist and a bigot. So we heard from his former best friend, Amorosa. Amorosa out with her new book, Unhinged, and it is explosive stuff, as she says uh, in that book. Now, remember... Well, this is a woman who was uh, on The Apprentice and then who befriended Donald Trump and hung out with Donald Trump, who was a part of Donald Trump's campaign, who went to the White House with Donald Trump, who was married in the White House with Donald Trump's permission, who had her wedding reception at the Trump International Hotel, uh, who was one of those people, top staffers, who had, for the first year, Easy access to Donald. She was one of the ones who had carte blanche authority to walk into the Oval Office anytime she wanted. Um, I used to see her in the briefing room at the White House where she would come in while Sean Spicer was giving his briefing, and she'd be sitting there as if to say, I'm watching you, dude, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I, I want to just point that out. I'm no Amorosa fan, okay? I think it should be pointed out, too, that, like, the reason She's we know— She's an enabler. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I think it's important to point out the reason that we know who she is is because of her appearance on the first season of The Apprentice. And it's yes. been a long time. It's been 15 yeah. years or whatever since that happened. But there was a sort of cultural phenomenon <laughs> built around Amorosa. She was nasty— knew how to play the game, threw mm -hmm. a bunch of people under the bus, 
got caught lying multiple times yep. and tried to sort of spin that into her own personal gain through yep. The Apprentice. That's right. what she was known for. Right. And so, like, this whole reality culture that we're living in now to where we actually, you know, elected a reality TV star president, sort of that phenomenon around Omarosa, uh, I-, I think sort of set the the tone for a lot of different reality shows. Yeah. Like, you always have that one villain, and she was the villain. Right. And she played a role willingly in the White House <coughs> as, look, you can't say Donald Trump is a racist. He's got this black woman who's had a top position uh, in the White House. Well, things went sour after that, uh, and she was fired. And now she says that the claim she makes in this book um, first of all, that uh, she she says uh, everybody lies in the White House. Everybody lies in the White House. She also says flat out that Donald Trump is a racist, a misogynist, and a bigot. Uh, she claims that there is audio tape, which she admits she hasn't heard, but she has heard that she is th- of Donald Trump using the N word often, frequently, uh, gleefully. Uh, the tapes exist of that. Uh, she also calls him mentally declined. She says she was complicit in putting a, in 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 hiding from the American people how mentally declined she doesn't say mentally deranged, but it's the same thing that that Donald Trump is therefore incapable of being president of the United States. And then, where before she had said uh, she uh, resigned, no, she said she was fired. She was fired by John Kelly. And to prove it, she even taped John Kelly in the Situation Room. So we'll go to the audio, but but think about that. The Situation Room is supposedly one of the most secure places on the planet. I've been in it. That's where it's in the basement of the White House. That's where the president goes if he's got something really <laughs> like important from a national security point of view. That's so sensitive, he won't even talk about it in the Oval Office. He goes down to the basement and and gets his top staff in there, and that's where they'll talk anything that's that, that sensitive. So this is the most secure place on the freaking planet. And Amorosa goes in there with a tape recorder. She gets a tape recorder into that room. Which shows how lax the Trump White House is. That was my takeaway, right? Like, there no, are a lot of things— no. Guideline, no security, no nothing. Yeah. People are kind of losing their minds over, like, this could be a crime. Taping something inside the Situation Room is is certainly a breach of protocol, but it, it could actually be against the law. And that's fine. You that's a relevant point. But also, like, what kind of ship are they running over there? Yeah. No, that's, that's what it says to me, right? So, at any rate. So, she started out—she was on Meet the Press yesterday. She started out Friday morning— on uh, Good Morning America, where she says, yeah, I uh, wasn't comfortable in that role. But there were a lot of things that I observed during the last year that I was very unhappy with, that I was very uncomfortable with. Yeah, very, lots of things she saw. She gets more and more uncomfortable. And then she said when she decided, when she was fired, um, or and she knows she's on his way out, she gets a call. This is interesting. She gets a call from Eric Trump's wife. Lara, who makes the offer, hey, listen, we know things aren't working out. How's this for a deal? We'll, you, we'll pay you. 
What on earth? What does she? What does she have to do with anything? Well, exactly. I mean, they. I guess they wanted to get it kind of away from Trump, but still somebody who would speak with enough authority that Amarosa would believe she could deliver. Uh, so says, hey, here's the deal. It's sort of like the Stormy Daniels deal or the Karen McDougal deal, except not as much money for not the same service. I'm not suggesting that. She offered her $15,000 a month to keep quiet. $15,000 a month, and you can do whatever the hell you want. You're sort of, we'll say you're doing stuff having to do with racial diversity, but you don't have to do anything. You don't have to show up. You don't have to come to work. You just can't talk. For- and you can't talk forever. Even if the contract expires, you still can't talk. It's a non-disclosure agreement for the rest of your life, and we'll start out paying you 15000 a month. We're my, we're my fiscally conservative Republicans on this. <laughs> paying a fired staff for fifteen grand a month? Yes. Uh-huh. Right. For, no- for literally nothing. Right. Figure that out. That's $180,000 a year, I think. Nice work if you can get nice it. Nice work if you can get or it. Or not work. <laughs> or nothing. And Amorosa says she turned it down. But here's the thing. She says there are a lot of other people who took that deal. They were not offering a real job. They told me I could work from home if I even wanted to work. They didn't really care if I showed up. In fact, there are several uh, former employees from the White House who actually signed this agreement, who are all being paid $15,000 for their silence. I'd like to know that list. Oh, don't you know it. I hope somebody does a little reporting on that today and comes up with that list and how much money that how much money that's costing us and who's paying that bill, right? You know, we, we got into the wrong business, clearly. <laughs> you and I got in the wrong yeah, business. Yeah. I want to get paid almost two hundred grand a year to do nothing. You give me that deal, I'll quit right now. <laughs> deal. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, so then, as I say, uh, John Kelly says, um, we got to talk. He's never talked to her before. They've never had a conversation. He says, let's talk, and let's do it in the situation room. She goes in with her iPhone or something rolling or a little tape recorder. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Uh, Does the president, is the president aware of this? Uh, don't, let's not go down the road. This is a non-negotiable discussion. I don't want to uh, negotiate. I just, I've never talked, had a chance to talk to you, General Kelly. Yeah, so but, if this is my departure, I'd like to have at least an opportunity no, uh, to understand. We can, we can talk another time. This has to do with some pretty serious viola- integrity violations. Um, mm. Mm. So I'll let it go with mm. that. So uh, the, the staff and everyone on the staff works for me, not the president. Uh, wonder what that is. Boom. Yeah. Wonder what that is. Some serious integrity violations, he says. And uh, yeah, um, no, we're not going to we're not going to even discuss whether or not the president knows what I'm doing. You work for me. I'm firing you. I, I love that he brings up integrity violations as uh, if that's a fireable offense in the Trump administration. Uh, yeah. As if he has any left. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and then he says, so let's just keep this friendly and then your reputation will be intact. I think it's important to understand that if we make this a friendly departure, um, we can all be, you know, you can look at look at your time here in, in uh, the White House as a year of service to the nation. Uh, and then you can go on without any type of uh, difficulty in the future relative to your reputation. So she is fired. She is out the door. And now she is getting her revenge. That audio uh, is incredible. And it really is. And there's no doubt that's who it is. I mean, that is a totally, totally verifiable, uh, authentic uh, recording. And the White House fears, 
And there's reason to believe that she has hundreds of audios. Uh, this is not the only tape. Look, And I think the more, my prediction is, the more the White House fights back, and um, CBS reported last night that the White House, they admit that they're exploring um, means of legally getting getting back at Omarosa, <laughs> accusing of of maybe are. of committing crimes yeah. in the White House, or you know, libeling, whatever, whatever. They're, they've got their attorneys working on how they can respond. She better get those tapes out quick. Get those tapes out quick, yes, indeed. And so what they did yesterday is uh, they responded in a couple of ways. One is, uh, yeah, well, here's uh, Donald Trump's uh, here's Donald Trump's take on a very short take on who Omarosa is. Low life. She's a low life. <laughs> She's a low life. I mean, seriously, if you're called a low life by Donald Trump, I mean, that We're, is being called ugly by a frog. Yeah, yeah, yeah literally, totally. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's also. I oh. mean, I, I realize that we are so far beyond this, right? But to hear the president of the United States name calling and but just but just like over a personal beef, yeah, is yeah. still pretty jarring. There, there, are, there, there have been thousands of cases where we've talked about this. It seems by now in a year and a half, where he just thought it's shut up, just just shut up. Just rise above it. Don't, you know, it's the president of the United States. It's, it's more important than that. It's about more, a lot of things, a lot more serious, a lot more dignified than that. But he can't resist. And, of course, neither can uh, the White House. They send out, oh, their uh, loyal hack, Kellyanne Conway. She'll defend Trump no matter what he does. Kellyanne Conway, first of all, says, all the years that I worked with him, I never heard him say anything racist. I have worked alongside that man for over two straight years now without interruption. I have never a single time heard him use a racial slur about anyone. So, on, <laughs> I mean, Come on. I know. So on this week yesterday, um, Amorosa was on Meet the Press, Kellyanne Conway on this week. John Carl, uh, who's filling in, says, um, okay, She's gone. Now, who is the now the top African-American senior staffer, anybody, in, just name one, in the White House? Who is the most prominent, high-level advisor to the president on the West Wing staff right now? African-American? Yes. Mm -hmm. I would say that, well, first of all, you're, you're totally uh, not covering the fact that our Secretary of Housing and Urban Development and world-renowned... Um, I'm asking you about the White House staff. I'm asking you about the people well, the president is with every day. That he's, that he's, well, the president works with Secretary Carson every day. He's trying to break the back of who, the scourge Who there is in, and on the White House staff right now? And uh, you, we have Jerron, who's done a fabulous job and very involved <laughs> with... He's been very involved with Jared Kushner and President Trump on prison well, reform. You know that black guy, Jerron? from the beginning. He yeah. worked yeah. with Omarosa yeah. and others of he's us. Guy that Does he have my an room, office in my the office. West Wing? Kelly? He has an office on the, in the EOP, absolutely. The executive office of the president, yes. She has no idea what she's talking about. No clue. No clue. Not a clue. And you can tell right away when she starts spinning and going off to Ben Carson and everything. There isn't one. There is no top African-American American staffer uh, in the White House. Period. 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 Yeah. Uh, and so nice try, Kellyanne. Uh, it doesn't work. But... Uh, I, I, she doesn't even know Jerron's last name. No, no, clearly she doesn't. There, there know his is last name. Some, there's been some like there is a Jerron Smith who works not in the White House, no. not in the West Wing. He works across the street in right. the old executive office building. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Which 
how many people work in that building? By the way, there are about 5,000. Yeah, there's a lot of it's people that huge, work in that building. Huge. So it's not like it's a special, I don't want to say it's not a special honor, but it's like it, it there are a lot of people that work there. It's part of the 18 acres of the, of the White House grounds, but it's across the street from the White House inside the fence. Uh, at any rate, uh, you know, what this really does is this is sort of the final nail in the coffin of Donald Trump's pledge. We remember as a candidate, he pledged, I will, over and over, I will surround myself, I wrote it out this morning just because, I will surround myself with only the best and the most serious people in the world to work in my White House. That's what he pledged as a candidate. So remember that when you think about Amarosa Monigo Newman, when you think about the Mooch, when you think about Sean Spicer, when you think about Michael Flynn, when you think about Steve Bannon, go down the list. The list goes on and on. In fact, there have been so much, there's been more turnover in the last year and a half under Donald. Seven cabinet members have left. Not one left in the first four years of Barack Obama. Not one. Seven already uh, under Donald Trump. Five communication directors. You know, it's a revolving door. It's a bunch of misfits and outcasts in the first place, unqualified people like him. Uh, and it's been um, a disaster. But you haven't heard the last of, uh, I'm sure, of uh, Amorosa Monaco Newman. Oh, uh, I'm sure of that. No. And by the way, President, uh, she was not the only former staffer or staffer uh, that the president uh, went after yesterday. He also made another uh, made another uh, slur at um, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Yes, Donald Trump saying uh, that Sessions was scared stiff and missing in action. He accused him, the Attorney General, being scared. Why doesn't he fire him? He won't fire him because he knows he could never get, Congress would never confirm anybody else to replace him. So he just attacks poor Jeffy, no matter what Jeffy does. It's amazing. Yeah, right. It's amazing how I almost, almost mm-hmm. feel sorry for Jeff Sessions. <laughs> almost. Almost, right. Uh, so um, I heard a lot about chain migration, right, these days, by the way. Uh, about Donald Trump always talks about it. Every, That's one of the points. His four points, you know. Oh, Bill, I'm glad you brought that up. Just in case. You have to get rid of chain migration. Well, just in, well, just in case you forgot, here's what Donald Trump has said about chain migration okay. in the past. Good. Yes. A single immigrant can bring in virtually unlimited numbers of distant relatives. The lottery system and chain migration, mm-hmm. we're going to end them yeah. fast. Oh, it doesn't sound like he's a fan. Well, it's a good thing they didn't get rid of chain migration yet because we want to congratulate over the weekend and welcome two new United States citizens. They are Victor and Amalia Knaf. Uh, they come from Slovenia. They are now uh, citizens of the United States. They came in through the family uh, exemption, which is, all, which is what Donald Trump calls chain migration uh, they just happen to be the mother and father of the first lady of the United States. Shameless. shameless, shameless, totally shameless. Man is out there attacking it all the time, while the first lady is using it to get her parents citizens. And by, I'm not saying they should not be citizens. I'm saying if if it's good enough for Victor and Amalia, and it's good enough for the Trump family, 
damn right it's good enough for other families as well to re to unite families and that's what this family exemption and this family program is all about even if you call it chain migration that's what it's that's what it's all about where else do we go rudy giuliani by the, oh god it's, it's let me tell you I, I understand if you have a hard time following where rudy is on any day on the uh, robert Mueller investigation because uh, he changed his tune again over the weekend. He still says it's going to be wrapped up by August 1st. I mean, I'm sorry, September 1st. So we got, you know, what, 17 days left? I, I don't know whether Robert Mueller knows that that's all he's got left, but Rudy Giuliani insists it's all going to be over by September 1. He also uh, changed his, uh, his tune when it comes to Donald Trump's conversation with James Comey about ending the investigation, and going easy on Michael Flynn. Um, Last week, uh, Rudy Giuliani said, no, James Comey is not telling the truth. Donald Trump did not ask him to end the investigation. He just asked him to go easy on Michael Flynn. Now, remember, this all came out when James Comey testified in front of Congress and told about this meeting, he was there, Comey, with the Attorney General and I think Rod Rosenstein, and the president asked the others to leave and asked Comey to stay, and he said to Comey, Comey gives a whole transcript, basically. It wasn't a transcript, but his recollection of the notes that he made immediately afterwards, can't you find a way to get rid of this thing, ease up on Michael, on, on Michael Flynn, go easy on Michael Flynn, and end this investigation? Comey refuses to do so, that ultimately ended up in his being fired. So last week, Rudy says, no, he didn't ask him to end the investigation. He just said, could you go find a way to go easy on Michael Flynn? Now, over the weekend, Rudy Giuliani says now, there was never any conversation between Donald Trump and James Comey over Michael Flynn. They never talked about it. Now, we've been over this so many times about James Comey and what we think about James Comey. James Comey is no hero of mine. I think were it not for James Comey, Hillary Clinton would be president of the United States today. Um, he clearly um, was a par- l- largely responsible for her defeat by reopening that investigation on uh, October 28 and by his negative comments about her in the middle of the summer. It was the FBI getting involved in politics not to hurt Donald Trump, as he claims, but to help Donald Trump and to hurt Hillary Clinton. However, when it comes down to that account, the account of that meeting with Donald Trump in the Oval Office, I got to tell you, I believe James Comey. One of the reasons I believe him is he, he's so, he's been consistent, he's never changed his story, and he is so direct on exactly what Donald Trump said. And it sounds exactly what Donald, like something Donald Trump would say. Uh, just making the point that uh, keeping up with Rudy is uh, a full-time job. Uh, there is other news, by the way, uh, for Donald Trump. How about this? New poll out over the weekend um, on Donald Trump's popularity and how good a job people think he's doing. Uh, nationwide, 20, 20% of Americans say he is doing an excellent job. 20% say 
he's also doing a pretty good job. So 20% excellent, 20% pretty good. 13% say he's doing a fair job. 45% say he's doing a poor job as president. 45% of Americans. Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. Mm-hmm, there you go. Well, <laughs> uh, the interesting part of that is um, we celebrate. We marked last year, last week, the 50th anniversary of Richard Nixon's resignation. Uh, at that time in 1974, 45% of Americans said Richard Nixon was doing a poor job. Man. So Donald Trump has finally leveled out. Wow. Right where Richard Nixon was in 1974. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if only we could have the same result. If only <laughs> Donald Trump would take Richard Nixon's advice <clears throat> and step down knowing how unpopular he is. But we may have to wait a year and a half for that. Uh, okay, there we go. Lots and lots, as we mentioned, to talk about. Uh, among our guests today, Elena Schneider joins us from uh, Politico. Igor Babish will be along from Huffington Post as a friend to Bill a little bit later, joined by Niels Lesniewski from Roll Call. But right now... Uh, Let's take a quick break and then catch up with Elena Schneider on the other side. Uh, Stay there. We'll be right back on the Bill Press Show Monday, August 13. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, how about it? It is the Bill Press Show on a Monday, Monday, August 13, uh, halfway through the month already. Wow. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us as we come to you live from... uh, the capital of the free world, Washington, D.C., in our studio right here on Capitol Hill. Uh, believe it or not, um, we still haven't recovered from all the special elections and primaries last Tuesday. And there are even more coming up tomorrow. Why do they schedule these things in the middle of the summer? Uh, maybe just to make sure that not too many people vote. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's what it's all about. Elena Schneider covers the political world for the great uh, Politico. Uh, joining us in studio. Elaine, it's always good to see you. Great to see you, too. Yeah, these primaries. In, in fact, there are some primaries in New York as late as September, aren't there? Not New York. They're in Massachusetts Ma- oh. is some of the latest ones. Um, we've still got Arizona, you know, Arizona and Florida won't happen until the very end of August. But there are definitely some into New Hampshire is in September. So, yeah, yeah. there's still a smattering left that go all the way into to early September. Yeah, it's just I don't know why they just don't do them all at one time. But at any rate, um, <laughs> get it and get it over with. Um, before... But what would we have to talk about every Tuesday if we didn't spread them out this way? That's right. Yeah, there's nothing else to talk about. <laughs> um, but before we jump into those midterms, we talked a, a lot in the last half hour uh, about Amorosa's uh, media appearances yesterday and her um, uh, negative comments, certainly critical comments about the president of the United States, the man that she worked for. She calls a biggest, uh, a racist, a misogynist, and a bigot. And she released an audio of a conversation that she had when she was fired uh, by Chief of Staff John Kelly, which she taped in the Situation Room, which, again, raises all kinds of questions about security breaches at the White House. Um, uh, it was reported yesterday that the White House fears that she has other audio tapes that right. she will be releasing from time to time. Well, lo and behold, she just did. Uh, for the Today Show this morning, she released uh, an audio tape. She says, sounds like it to me. Is a conversation, a telephone of a tape recording of a t- telephone call she gets from the president of the United States the morning after she's fired by John Kelly. Here it is. Uh, Marosa, what's going on? I just saw on the news that you're thinking about leaving. What happened, General Kelly? 
General Kelly what came happened? to me and said that you guys wanted me to leave. No, I, I, nobody even told me about it. Nobody. Wow. You know, they run a big operation, but I didn't know it. I didn't know that. God yeah. Damn it. I don't love you leaving at all. <laughs> all right. There he is. President of the United States, clearly in charge at the White House. I cannot believe we're listening to this. You know what I mean? Well, I can't either. I, I, really? I can. I, just, I, I mean, yes, I can, but I also, it's just so jarring to hear like a casual conversation with the President of the United States that was taped by somebody else without his knowledge. Well, that part, I guess, is, is more unbelievable, but I think that the way he is approaching a firing like this is not surprising at all. I mean, yeah. He's always going to, you know, uh, offload that difficult conversation to somebody that he's hired so that he can... You know, so that he can be still this like likable guy that he likes to present to people, um, or at least to, to to the employees that have worked for him. He doesn't ever want to be the bad guy, quote unquote, in I, terms of the sort of staffing situation. That's true. I don't believe for a second that he did not know about it. I don't believe for a second that John Kelly fired this woman who had been with him since the first season of The Apprentice and was one of the ones who had... Uh, open access to the Oval Office, we've been told that over and over again, you know, she was close to Trump, right? Yeah. As close as anybody else, I think, on the staff and could walk in and out of the Oval Office and that Kelly would fire somebody like that who was clearly a friend of the president's without telling him. Do you believe that, Peter? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. It it is literally incredible. (laughs) Well, I don't cover the White House, so I can I can uh, no. throw that back on you. But no, guys. but just from what you know, I mean, this doesn't sound yeah. Yeah, right. It's it's hard to believe that he wouldn't be aware of that. Right. Yeah. No, I do believe he made that call, and I do believe that, as you pointed, that's the stance he would take. Right. Oh God, I didn't know. Well, you know, he's president of the United States. He could say, "Come back here tomorrow." Yeah. He could have said, "No, you get back here. I want you. I want you right alongside of me. I want you here," which he did not. Had that opportunity. So there you go. Uh, well, while we're um, inching into the midterm, so uh, the biggest political news I thought of the weekend came out of Iowa, um, where um, there was a, uh, a a real talk about a dark horse candidate for president stalking the Iowa State Fair. I believe it was the State Fair this weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and here is Stormy Daniels attorney Michael Avenatti. I think I've shown a unique ability over the last five to six months to take the fight to Donald Trump. And in the event I decide to run, that's going to be a big part of my message. Now, Elena, seriously? I mean, why not, right? I think that that's what a lot of people are saying at this point, right? I mean, everything everyone said seriously about Donald Trump, I think that there's a bit of a democratization of who can run for president. And I think Michael Avenatti, it's not at all shocking that he would say, why not? Point well taken. After Donald Trump, <laughs> anybody could sure. say. Sure. Yeah. Look who's there now. That clown could be there. I, you know, I could too. But, uh, but, but again, seriously, it does take a little more than having been on television a I, lot, I, right? I, I don't know. I mean, does it anymore? Having said that, I just wonder whether I could stand by that, right? Yeah. I mean, no, what's... Michael Abbott, he's a good attorney. Right. I think he's done a good job of representing Stormy Daniels. Mm-hmm. Um, I love him taking the fight to Donald Trump for Stormy, Stormy Daniels, but um, I, I I must say I don't think that qualifies him to run for president. I think he ought to focus on his defense of Stormy Daniels and 
resolve that first. Look, by the end but, of this, we're probably going to have two dozen Democrats running for president. Oh, totally. And so I think that, you know, he'll he'll just fill out sort of the unknown category of bucket of people who were sort of like not really sure why they're running or how they ended up in this position. But, hey, they're making a shot at it. And, you know, of all the potential sort of unusual folks who might be running here, he actually has sort of, you know, may have built a bit of constituency on the MSNBC watching crowd. So it's going to end up by God. that by that rule. No, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying yeah. how sick it is. Um, but by that rule, it could be 2020. Michael Avenatti versus Rudy Giuliani. We'll have the. <laughs> the Where did two, Trump go? The no, well, if, yeah, he's out of the picture. We have the two most loudmouth attorneys right in the nation. <laughs> Uh, out there running for president. I think the ego gets uh, gets in the way a little bit. All right, let's go back to um, a week ago tomorrow, Tuesday. Um, first of all, the state of Kansas, it ended up, what was it, about 91 votes apart between? I think on Friday it was as of like 110 votes between 110. Chris Kobach, the Secretary of State, and uh, Jeff Collier, who is the incumbent. Right, the incumbent governor. And where are we today? Uh, we're in the same place. There was no counting over the weekend, so they're going to start going back through those provisional ballots now. And What's left to be counted? Provisional ballots? I think it's just provisional ballots at this point. Absentees? Um, there were some errors in countings last week um, out of Johnson County and some of the other uh, major counties, so there was <coughs> some needing to go back and fix that. And um, But look, this could stretch out until the end of August because there's lawyers involved. They're going to be, you know, I'm, I don't know the specific rules about Kansas's recount, what 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 level it needs to be to be triggered. Um, Boy, if, if if there's any recount at all, it seems to me a margin that small would automatically trigger it. It's totally possible. So it's it's going to be a long slog before this is actually decided. And look, Democrats are thrilled. This is an opportunity for them to get behind, uh, I think her name's Laura Kelly. This is terrible that I don't know this off the mm-hmm. top of my head. But um, uh, a state senator who who's uh, you know a pretty dynamic woman who they feel like if Chris Kobach wins that they have a real shot at potentially making this race competitive. Right, and this gives the Democrats a chance to get a little head right. start here on fundraising uh, and also on take advantage of this civil war inside the Republican Party. Exactly. Right, that they don't they can't get their act together. Right, which was a bit self created civil war because Donald Trump decided to weigh in with a tweet in supporting Chris Kobach, uh, this immigration hardliner, somebody who he really likes and has worked with a lot. And Republicans on the ground certainly hoped that he would stay out of the race, uh, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I think that that was a huge part in tipping that race. Well, one of the big questions is who counts the vote. So there was some discussion about whether because or not because Chris Kobach is the Secretary of State, right? Um, initially, he was uh, saying that he would not recuse himself; that this wouldn't be a conflict of interest; that it's the counties who are in charge of doing any kind of recount. Um, I, I think at this point he had taken steps back from that and he may now actually recuse himself. But um, but again, the, it, some some things might have changed over the weekend. But I think that he sort of taken steps back, realizing maybe that was going a little bit too far. Yeah. You talk about a conflict of interest. The right. secretary of state's office is the office that does certify right. every election. And uh, for... I think he finally came around to that factor after a couple of days. Yeah. All right. So there was that race that was close. Not so close, but still pretty close was Ohio. 12 right with troy balderson and danny o'connor uh balderson ahead by about 1700 votes uh, election night yeah right? election night it was about 1700 there was uh now they of, had provisional and absentees right and uh, they actually found a pile of votes out of franklin county that they had uh, not counted again voting is a Jesus. imperfect uh system yeah. 
And uh, so I think that the, the his lead has shrunk to about 1,500 votes. But at this point, I think it's still a, a, a wide enough gap that he that the automatic recount won't be triggered. Ohio's law is that it's half a point. So look, again, this is another one that's going to stretch out for a little while. But I think that most people are already sort of pivoting and preparing for November. There's generally an, ex, you know, an accepted sense that Troy Balderson is going to win this um, at the end of the day. Because usually even with provisional and absentee, it takes a lot to push somebody to flip the results. And it doesn't look like there's enough of those. But the race, other than Donald Trump calling the race, the race has not been called right. by it AP has not been official. or uh, not official. Right. right? That's yeah. correct. And both candidates, same candidates, square off against each other, same district in November. Exactly. So they're, they're now running and acting as if nothing has changed. Uh, as they shouldn't, because they don't have time to act as if anything has changed. So they're going to keep running. And, you know, I, I don't really. So if Balderson does, if, if it finally goes to the point where they say, OK, it is Balderson by a thousand or kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can call himself the incumbent. Right. Uh, I just wonder what that will mean, how much weight that will carry, given what we've happened. By November, it's not that far away. Right, you know? it's 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 pretty unusual I to mean, have a special he, election. He won't really that have close. any voting record by that time. Right, he won't have much of a voting record. He doesn't necessarily <laughs> have much time to build a constituency or sort of turn up constituent services to to build some goodwill in the community just by oh. doing the basic things a congressman does. So I don't think at this point that being the incumbent gives him any kind of huge advantage by any means. No. Why would you even? I was just thinking about why would you even take a job with him? Right, I mean. If you were in Washington, <laughs> and now I know if you're out of work and you get a couple of months paycheck, maybe that's the answer. Right. But it's certainly uh, uh, no long range prospects for, uh, no, for, for being in but, the job for a few years. Right, right. But that's generally, I mean, any you take any any campaign uh, job, and generally speaking, it's not really a guarantee of much. Uh, so that was last week, uh, and tomorrow mm-hmm. we are back in the mix again. That's right. right. We've got a primaries couple- in. Four states, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Connecticut, and Vermont. And, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, Connecticut, and Vermont. Yeah. yeah. So and which are, the, uh, which are the hot ones there? I think there are a couple of really interesting ones. So Minnesota got a lot more interesting over the weekend when Keith Ellison was accused of domestic violence. He's obviously running for attorney general. This is some pretty late-breaking news. So whether or not it has an impact on sort of those Election Day voters, unknown as of yet, but clearly could have an impact. So that's one that's going to be really interesting to watch. He was a front runner, or yeah, is he, a front runner? Yeah, guess, essentially, still. yeah. I mean, it, look, I, I think it's again, it just broke over the week, basically over uh, yesterday. Um, so it could have some Im- impact on those election day voters who are still undecided. But yeah, he had it in as a as a front runner. The um, uh, the charge was leveled by the son of a former girlfriend, right? Who claims he was looking through what I read this morning? He was looking through. Uh, his mother's um, computer mm-hmm. and discovered a two-minute video of uh, allegedly Keith Ellison uh, beating up or charging whatever some act, act of domestic violence against his mother and he then put out this statement without releasing the the video however right, right. and Keith Ellison denies that it ever took place and yep. that's where we are today yeah vigorously denies it right um, uh, are there other statewide races that are 
that are interesting there? Absolutely. So the Minnesota gubernatorial race is going to be super interesting. It's very crowded. Tim Walls, who is a pretty sort of middle-of-the-road mainstream Democrats, trying to hold off some more progressive uh, candidates. Uh, we'll see if Tim Pawlenty reemerges as uh, the Republican side candidate uh, for God, governor. He's still around. Yeah. He, he is. And then um, and then in Wisconsin, too, we'll see who... Well, Wisconsin's really big. Yeah, with right. Scott Walker. Huh? Exactly. And Tony Evers, who's the state superintendent, seems like he He's going to be the likely nominee. He's sort of come out as a front runner, sort of this very mild mannered, um, very nice uh, uh, stu- uh, state superintendent, I think is his official title. But he came out as a pretty clear front runner, and it seems like that's going to be a super interesting race to watch. Uh, the Walker folks are pretty worried about it. Even Walker acknowledged after some of those uh, special state Senate legislative elections earlier this year, acknowledged that, look, a blue wave could be coming for Wisconsin based on the results that we saw from some of those legislative mm-hmm. elections. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be another one to watch. And then the uh, and then the senatorial but, race. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, just Kevin Nicholson and uh, Leah Vukmir, who are running for the Republican uh, nomination there. That's another pretty ba- uh, bitter Republican primary as well. Um, so, you know, there's just, there's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> for the opportunity to run against Tammy Baldwin. That's hmm? correct. But, so back to Walker for just a second. You know, uh, I mean, he sort of disappeared from the national scene. I mean, one time he was a rising star of the Republican Party. Yeah, he was going to be the, the presidential nominee. He, everybody said he was going yeah. to be the nominee, you know, uh, and uh, that really sputtered. And when he ran out of money and dropped out, you know, his message was, I'm getting out of the way so we can all unite behind one Republican to stop Donald Trump. Right. Of course, we said at the time that was the only way Republicans could stop Donald Trump. And and somebody, they all had they had to do it and decide who, who they were going to rally behind. They never did. Right. Uh, so is, is Walker still running as a non-Trumper? No, I don't think he's running as a non-Trumper by any means. I think a lot of the people who uh, declared their um, anti-Trumper or questioned Trump's presidency pre, pre-January 2017 have now rejoined the Trump train, uh, aware that in order to get their base out, they need to be supportive of the president. And I'm sure that you know, Walker, there's plenty that Walker likes about what the president has done. Um, so I don't think that he's certainly by no means running as sort of an anti-Trump Republican, but uh, I think he's also aware that he's in a lot of trouble and that his state is going to be at the center of so much activity this year and, for that matter, into 2020. Um, look, there there could be a serious backlash in a place like Wisconsin in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of the, as you pointed out, some of the early specials, particularly that one, I remember, Supreme Court seat, I mean... Well, right. There, and there were some state Senate of, races back in, I think it was February of this year, mm-hmm. um, where I talked to uh, Charlie Sykes, who's the conservative commentator, who said, I'm going to blank on the exact quote, but something like this, this is like an electric shock through the Wisconsin Republican Party. There needs to be an awareness that this is this is a really big problem where, you know, a couple of state Senate suites swung by like 20 points, I think. And um, it's one, I think, flipped for a Democrat and one came super close in a way that hadn't hadn't in decades. So what's happening in Arizona? We don't know the, or do we, the Republican candidate for governor we don't. or the, for Senate? The the primary is on August 28th. Okay. So we still have a couple more weeks. Right. I saw this morning that some Republicans are asking again the president to weigh in in right. that primary uh, to get the strongest possible candidate against Kirsten Sinema, who would have to be the front runner yes, at this yes, point. Yes, yes, right. yes. Yeah, she'll be the nominee. She'll be the nominee on yeah. the Democratic side. 
Uh, and any indication on the Republican side? So once again, we've got a really nasty primary. Uh, Republicans uh, really would like to have Congressman, uh, Congresswoman Martha McSally, who has represented a swing moderate district right outside of Tucson. A really interesting profile. She is a military veteran, um, is really well liked in the caucus. Uh, but she's also somebody who's seen as sort of more of a moderate. Mm-hmm. And so somebody like Kelly Ward, who's, a, I think, a former state senator, not current anymore, um, but a state legislator who is uh, very conservative and somebody who think who certainly is, is running to the right of Martha McSally. And then we also have Sheriff Joe Arpaio, oh, right. um, who's yeah. also in the mix. Um, but mostly it's Kelly Ward. She's really the one who's actually been able to manage. If Trump uh, endorses anybody, it would be Kelly Ward, not Arpaio. Huh? Right. And I think that that's uh, what people are concerned about is that she's somebody who could be like a Chris Kobach who, you know, has been uh, pretty loyal to the president, somebody who's yeah. been supportive of the president for a long time. And Martha McSally, in, not in the way that um, we'd have to go back and Google this, but I, I don't think that she explicitly came out against the president after the Access Hollywood tape but certainly has not been maybe one of his most vocal supporters. Um, I think since he was elected, though, there's been a real charm offensive on their part to try and, you know, show the connection she has to Ivanka and and, and show how supported she's been to the president. Um, but look, the tweet hasn't come yet. It's not to say that it won't, um, but he hasn't weighed in on that primary yet. Right. So overall, um, here we are full in the middle of the midterms now. Almost all the states, we know who the nominees are going to be. Still a few primaries, as we've discussed, to come. Um, what is, and you've written about this, to a certain extent, Donald Trump has upset the apple cart of the GOP plans, right, for... At least in House races, yeah, certainly. Yeah, in House races. Well, so it's been, I mean, it's part of what we... They were going to be talking about tax cuts. This was going to be, they're going to run on the tax cuts this year. And in fact, we more often hear about Democrats talking about the tax cut plan and how problematic it's been as opposed to Republicans talking about it. Republicans will push back and say, look, we also have to disqualify candidates. That's sort of their answer on it. But look, it's it's hard to not see, based on polling, that the tax cuts are not popular. And it's, you know, there is an element of having to do some convincing when you're the party in power and nobody's going to like what you do no matter what it is. Um, but look, they haven't been able to sell this in the way that they hoped they would, and it isn't turning out to be the p- sort of panacea that they thought it was going to be for them in 2018. The New York Times this morning has a whole long editorial on the Trump tax plan report card, and they say there are basically four four things have happened as a result of it. Uh, companies are buying back more stocks than they ever did before. Um, so, which helps the companies and which help the companies and their investors else. and right. nobody else. Uh, two, investments have flatlined, so they're they're not that money's not going out into into into, into the economy. Real wages have declined. Number three, and four, tax cuts don't pay for themselves, meaning the deficit has just gotten bigger and bigger. So, yeah, it hasn't proven to be what the Republicans said it was going to be, and and certainly voters kind of recognize that popularity. So, what are they running on then? Healthcare. <laughs> or immigration, building the wall. I mean, I think it depends on the district that you're running. I mean, that you're looking at. But you know, take Ohio 12 as sort of a test for what the kind of messaging they're going to go with. They ran on everything from tax cuts to the wall to the opioid crisis to Nancy Pelosi 
to Ted Strickland was thrown in there. This is a former governor of Ohio who was a Democratic governor who said, you know, don't rewind to Ted Strickland. And we we're all like, who remembers Ted Strickland? I mean, he obviously ran for Senate last year, but like it seemed like yeah, they I sort mean- of threw the whole kitchen sink at it because they weren't quite sure what was sticking. And um, and I think that that's an interesting way to look at all of this. I certainly think that they're still going to try and run on tax cuts. They're going to run on the economy and how that generally speaking, people feel pretty good about where the economy is. They still feel like that's going to be a winning issue for them. Um, Whether or not it actually pans out, though, is not totally clear. Uh, We ask everybody who comes in just about, um, if I remember to do so, and I do now, uh, on a scale of one to 10, where would you where would you put Democrats, uh, the chances of Democrats taking back the House? Um, So I hate this question, even though I ask my sources it all the time. But look, if we're talking right now with the awareness that a lot can change in 90 plus days or 90 fewer than 90 days that we have left say it's a pretty good chance. So I would put it in like, you know, seven, eight range that they flip the house. I don't think that they're going to do it by some massive margin though right now. Well, you're you're right in line with what most people say. Really? I mean, the seven, <laughs> if I had to say to average it out, seven is the, uh, and you know, that's a pretty good chance. I mean, indications are, if you look at last Tuesday, I mean, there are several portents there and signs there that, that it could be, in fact, Maybe not a massive blue wave, but big enough to take back the house for sure with it's a little margin. Possible. Yeah. All right, Elena, you have busy days for you. So thanks for taking time to uh, share some of that uh, background with us. Thanks for having me. Always good to have you in. Uh, you can follow Elena, of course, on Politico at politico.com. Another good friend, Igor Babish, here from HuffPost, coming up next for the next hour. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Oh, yeah. Did you hear about the massive Unite the Right rally in Washington, D.C. yesterday? Yeah, maybe 25 people showed up. Maybe 40. (laughs) Big bust. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Great to see you. Monday, August 13, coming out of the weekend. I hope you had a good one. And uh, we got lots to talk about today. As we start off a new week, hope you are ready for that as we join you from a studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. with all the news of the day. Uh, and to help us uh, get through it, uh, we got uh, we welcome our good friend Igor Babish from HuffPost here to the studio. i here for this entire hour as a friend of Bill. Hello, Igor. How are Thanks, you? Thanks, Bill. Good, how are you? All right. Good to see you. You had a busy weekend, and you were actually in Lafayette Park yesterday. I was. That's with right. The, with the protesters. 
Yeah, for the big show. Were you the big circus. there as a member of the Antifa? Group? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> not, not quite. Yeah, uh, right. Different I form of black mask. <laughs> <laughs> different form of troublemaking rascals. Uh, the press. Oh, I <laughs> see. Right. Yes, right. There may have been more of you than there were of them. <laughs> <laughs> there were. There. I mean, it must uh, have been like a five hundred to one ratio. It was. Is just, that, it was unreal. Right? Yeah, it was like. Right. 70 different cameras trained on just one guy <laughs> and one sign. I, I love the pictures of the crowds yeah. and like the, the, none of yeah. them were really the white supremacists. It no. was all pro- counter protesters or media or right. whatever. All right. We want to find out more about that and uh, more from all of you and your comments on the news of the day, including shocking revolutions by Amorosa and a new tape released yet this morning. A conversation that she had with the President of the United States the morning after she was fired. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first, theater is the full court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Over the weekend, actor Idris Elba tweeted, My name's Elba, Idris Elba. Now that comes after there were rumors that he would be the new. James Bond, mm. something I am fully on board with, by yes. the way. Now, there are, I, I, don't, I, I, I hesitate to call it a controversy, right? Because it's not really a controversy, but some people are, uh, 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 like, voicing their um, concern. Like Richard Spencer, white supremacist, said that he, he didn't like this because Idris Elba is a black man, and there has never been a black James Bond. And whether or not he's going to be the Bond, who knows, but he's certainly having fun with it uh, with that tweet over the weekend. Daniel Craig is the current James Bond, although he's not going to be James Bond for much longer. So uh, should Idris Elba be the new James Bond? The answer is yes. Absolutely yes. Absolutely Absolutely yes. He is amazing. I'm ready for it. By the way, uh, I don't know if you saw this story over the weekend. A judge in California... Uh, our jury ordered Monsanto to pay a man $289 million what? because they what? did not warn of cancer risks posed by Roundup, its main weed killer. Hmm. So this guy used Roundup. He ended up getting cancer. And apparently it was a direct result of his using Roundup. Well, a judge ruled on this over the weekend or before the weekend. Uh, saying that they had to pay $289 million. Well, uh, Monsanto's stock plunged 10%, 10% after that ruling. Ooh, that I, is... I can't believe that Roundup is still on the market. I mean, It's still out there, there man. There have been so many bad stories about Roundup over the years. Yeah. And I was walking down to the bank last week, and there was a guy out in his front yard right here on Capitol Whoa, Hill, man. and he, I, I just... The lettering was so big. He yeah. was out there killing weeds, and he had a container of, you know, the spray of Roundup. It's poison. I almost tackled him. Yeah, it's poison. This, yeah. this comes a shock to me because, you know, I had so much invested in Monsanto. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm really sorry for all this of you what? who had Monsanto uh, uh, stock. It's a bad morning for you all. But, like, that's a lot of money uh, that, they, uh, that they awarded this man, and hopefully this is the end of Monsanto, but I doubt it. Mm-mm. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, Donald Trump says, Omarosa is nothing but a lowlife. <laughs> I don't know. Being called a lowlife by Donald Trump? <laughs> it is being called ugly by a frog. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press <laughs> Show on a Monday, August 13. Uh, here we go with all the news of the day. Good to see you today. Hope you had a great weekend. Um, but after uh, all that uh, attempt, uh, there's opportunity to relax and kick back and spend time with your family and friends. Now we are back into it with a busy news week, a busy news day. The president coming back to the White House late this evening after uh, one more day at Bedminster, New Jersey, and then a couple of fundraisers this evening. Uh, to help us through the news of the day here in the studio with us on Capitol Hill, uh, Igor Bobish joins us from uh, Political reporter, senior political reporter. I don't know what the hell your title is. <laughs> At HuffPost. Yes. Okay, no, good to see you, Igor. Thank you for Thank coming you. in. Lordy. Yeah. Lordy. Lordy. <laughs> Lordy. <laughs> how, many, how many tapes do you think there are? Well, um, the White House fears there are dozens of tapes. And um, so one yesterday and one today. Don't you think she's just going to sprinkle these I, I think so. I think so. She's And then possibly run for president like Michael Avenatti has done and just kind of you know own the president in the news cycle. Well, <laughs> she's got the only qualification that counts. She was on a uh, reality TV show, right? That's right. That's the only thing that matters. And days. Michael Avenatti created his own reality TV show. <laughs> right. So uh, should we believe Om Omarosa? Uh, that is a very difficult question to answer. I think her credibility is not quite uh, up to par, you know, um, seeing as how she built this reputation as somebody who would, you know, come in, in, in and backstab you, essentially, on the, the show. The bad girl. On yeah, the, the bad girl. Um, yeah. And now she's doing this, obviously, to tout her book, which is out soon, I think, Um and uh, more than that, isn't she kind of? That doesn't look like she's doing it to get back at Trump oh, yeah. and all the people around him, too. I mean, yeah. she has an axe to grind, definitely. So, um, so you're seeing her say something. You know, she's calling him a racist, and like she's saying she, that she's been complicit, racist, misogynist, and bigot. Right. Not that he says some racist, racist things, or you know that he has some problems with women. No. Racist, massages, and bigot. Right. Those three words she used. So, and then that begs the question, why did you stay in the White House? Why did you work for him, even through Charlottesville? You know, like, why? why? <laughs> right. What does that say about her, right? So, yesterday she also told the story uh, about, uh, well, first of all, let, let's go to the Situation Room. So this, uh, if you believe her, is the first time she's ever exchanged words with Chief of Staff John Kelly. She's mm -hmm. never met with him. They didn't have any conversation. This is their first conversation. <laughs> he invites her into the situation room, uh, and here's how the conversation starts. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Uh, Does the president, is the president aware of what's uh, going don't, on? Don't, let's not go down the road. This is a non-negotiable discussion. I don't want to negotiate. I just—I've never talked, had a chance to talk to you, General Kelly. Yeah, so if this is my departure, I'd like to have at least an opportunity no, uh, to understand. We can—we can talk another time. This has to do with some pretty serious viola integrity violations. Um, so I'll let it go with that. So uh, the, the staff and everyone on the staff works for me, not the president. And he goes on to say, you know, let's keep this friendly, and then your reputation will be intact. But first of all, this. This occurs in the Situation Room. Huh. I can't. I can't fathom that. 
which is like the most secure place on the planet. We thought <laughs> used we to thought. be, <laughs> and it, he's got his office. I mean, if you're firing somebody, you would think he would do it in his office, right? I mean, it's 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 a matter of national security. He right. has to do it in the situation room, and then she's able to get a tape recorder in there or it, it, the it, iPhone it, or whatever. Yeah. First of all, was that you know? Did she have a wire? Was she wearing? <laughs> you're not supposed to have a phone in the situation room. No. Uh, no. But um, it, to me, it only would have made sense if she was working on a National Security Council or if she was a security aide or something like that. She was in the Office of Public Liaison. She's a, she's yeah, a you know, yeah. public interest person. There's no reason for her to be in, secu- in, the, so- in the situation room at all. Or for that conversation to take place. <laughs> right. And then she claims uh, that she was, that she gets a call either before this or after, I'm not sure, the timing. From Laura Trump, who is Eric Trump's wife, saying, we know things are not going well, it's not going, but, you know, we don't want to leave you out in the cold. We got a deal. We'll pay you $15,000 a month. You don't have to do anything for it. You just have to keep your mouth shut. Serious cash. Serious cash. Here is, uh, just on um, Friday on Good Morning America, where she's talking about this and says... She turned it down, but a lot of other people have taken that offer. They were not offering a real job. They told me I could work from home if I even wanted to work. They didn't really care if I showed up. In fact, there are several uh, former employees from the White House who actually signed this agreement, who are all being paid $15,000 for their silence. Okay, now, Igor, your job today is to find out <laughs> who the other ones who are. Who the other ones well, are, we yeah. do know one other one, and that's uh, the president's former bodyguard. Uh, you know, during the campaign and a little bit in the White House, Keith uh, Keith Schiller. Yeah, oh, right. oh yeah, of course, yeah. of course. And um, yeah, some, he sort of disappeared, so he's enjoying that 180 right. grand. And and the, some people have said that one of the people who also took this money might also be uh, Sean Spicer, um, so that he would not talk as well. We, we don't. That's not confirmed. Whoa, but uh, that's <laughs> but that's believable. Right. Otherwise, by the way, he doesn't have a job. Right. So what's he living on? Uh, his book, and his, his book, book is a kiss-ass book. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Totally. Uh, I think of Rob Porter, the guy that got caught with the um, uh, domestic abuse right. allegations. Like, I wonder if he's getting the same kind of deal. We haven't heard from him. We haven't right. heard from him at all. How about Hope Hicks? Oh, Hope, as as one of the president's favorites, I would assume, is, is doing fine. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, just, just that alone, right? I mean, we're getting close to, like... Half a dozen. Yeah. But Which the, is a mil- over a million dollars. The really egregious thing here is that this money is coming from n- not the president himself. It's coming from his 2020 re-election campaign. Laura Trump works for the re-election campaign. Uh-huh. So this yeah. money you know, is coming from Trump donors. Mm-hmm. Small dollar donations, people mm-hmm. who think he's going to make America great again, help you know the small, the real people in Iowa, the farmers that he's screwing mm-hmm. over with his tariffs. This money is going to keep his former aides quiet. That's the outrageous thing. Wow, that's right. That's that's her connection. We were wondering earlier why her. Lara Trump, the fixer. She is the fixer. Oh, she's the new. <laughs> she's the new fixer, <laughs> right? Um, well, where does this end? Who knows, right? Now, the, I mean, there was also a report I saw CBS News last night that the White House is they have their lawyers working on what they can possibly do legally to counteract yeah. Lamarosa, either for 
security violations at the White House, maybe by taping inside the Situation Room. I Although mean, it seems to me that 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 goes back to John Kelly, not her. Right, right. Uh, she she said that she signed a non-disclosure agreement, um, and that's a mm. practice that Trump, you know, made his his employees sign during his business days and on the campaign, but. They're not enforceable, uh, you know, in, in, in a public role uh, as a government employee. So that's the question. I think that's where they're trying to, you know, enforce that. Right. Um, and so for the campaign promise that I'm only going to surround myself with the... <laughs> the best people. The best and the most serious people. <laughs> oh, man. Um, uh, I, I will tell you this. The Omarosa news cycle is not, not the news cycle that we needed, but it's the news cycle that we deserved. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and on, as, as a part of this, he also lashed out again this weekend um, at Jeff Sessions. His favorite his favorite punching bag. Absolutely. Yeah. And everybody asks, why does Jeff Sessions take it? Why does he stay there? But he called he, this weekend. He, he said his attorney general was scared stiff and missing in action. Yikes. Because Sessions is not going after Christopher Steele and the... Uh, and the dossier. He won't unrecuse himself from the Russian investigation. You know, it's almost, when I, because I get the tweets from Donald Trump, they're reading these tweets, and it's almost like, you, you know, sometimes I'll go on the Daily Caller, right, mm-hmm. just to find out how wacky, wacky the news could be, or Breitbart, or even the Drudge Report. Yeah. Right? And then I realized, no, this is not some extreme, wacky, right-wing, Alex Jones kind of website. Or mm-hmm. news site. This is the president of the United States with his tweets and all these conspiracy theories. Yeah. Uh, but this, but this goes back years. You know, he's been in yeah, the conspiracy yeah. theories for decades. He was a huge anti anti vaxxer of course. Uh, and then you know you've got the the main one, the Barack Obama was born in Kenya. Uh, so this this goes to who he is. Right. Um, the other part, just before we leave the Amrosa thing, is so she is she's uh, um, appears on Meet the Press yesterday. I'm sorry, on this week. No, I'm, she was on Meet the Press. Amrosa, sorry, Kelly. White House sends Kellyanne Conway out to refute this, and she goes on this week. Uh, and John Carl asks her um, it's a pretty basic question. Okay, Amrosa's gone now. Who is the top African American staffer? in the White House today. Who is the most prominent, high-level advisor to the president on the West Wing staff right now? African-American? Yes. Mm, yeah. I would say that, well, first of all, you're, you're totally uh, not covering the fact that our Secretary of Housing and Urban Development and world-renowned... Um, I'm asking you about the White House staff. I'm asking you about the people well, the president is with every day. That he's, that he's, well, the president works with Secretary Carson every day. He's trying to break the back of who, the who there is in, and on the White House staff right now. And uh, you, we have Jerron, who's done a fabulous job and very involved with, he's been very involved with Jared Kushner and President Trump on prison reform at the beginning. He's mm-hmm. been there from the beginning. He worked with Omarosa yeah. and others of us. Does he have an office in the West Wing, Kelly? He has an office on the, in the EOP, absolutely, the executive office of the president, yes. Oh, yeah, there's that black guy named Jerron. I've seen him around <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish John Carlson was like, what's his last name? What does he do? <laughs> yeah, what's his last that name? That would have been a great follow-up, actually. <laughs> yeah. We have Jerron. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Just brutal. Brutal. Cringe-inducing. I, I don't know how she does it. I almost think that, like, she knows that this is wrong. What she's doing is wrong. And she's got to go out there, and that's how she makes her money. You know? It <laughs> just... Ugh. You know, and I've heard people say about Amorosa. I mean, I know April Ryan said she's known him a long time, and this is not the Amorosa I used to know. This is not the Kellyanne Conway I used to know. I mean, she was... When I was on Crossfire, Kellyanne Conway was a Republican strategist that we used a lot because she was so reasonable. She was yeah. unlike the you know the real crazies. You know, yeah. she was just just here's what the facts are. Here's what the polling shows, and da da da. This is what uh, you know. I, I think that's so important to remember about a lot of these people, right? Like <laughs> Kellyanne Conway was a reasonable conservative at one point, and it's all about the check now. It's all about getting paid. I mean, and some of these people have completely sold their souls. Who was she with? Was it Ted Cruz before she? Yeah, went she with? was a Cruz person. With, with a cruiser. Yeah, that, that says something too. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, so you were down to Lafayette Park yesterday. That's right. The, the, the big unite, the big big unite the right rally. Um, unite the right too. The the uniting. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The sequel. <laughs> the sequel. And tell us about it. Uh, it was. Uh, it was unlike anything I've ever seen before. I've I've, been, I've covered a lot of protests, covered a lot of rallies. I have never seen that kind of police presence. Uh, it was astounding. It was just rows and rows of you know cops on on motorbikes, uh, just Pro- protecting them or protecting the other the, <laughs> the anti-protesters or what? Pro- protecting the the neo-Nazis. Uh, because they have a right to protest, they they applied for this months in advance. Um, but I, you know, talking to some of the protesters, everybody was asking, "You didn't you didn't see this kind of police presence in other protests? You didn't see this kind of police presence right. certainly in Ferguson, for example, where you know yeah, you had black yeah. protesters." Um, so there's a lot of questions on, on about what why the city decided to do this. Um, you know, we didn't see riot gear necessarily, but I, if I had to guess, they must have had at least five, six hundred, you know, police out there on the streets. How many? How many white supremacists? How many unite the right people? I think the the count, and it was just hilarious to see when they were just by themselves. It was about twenty, twenty-five. <laughs> God. Unite the right. And how many uh, people protesting the protest? Uh, Maybe hundreds, five hundred, six hundred, something like that. Right, and, and I mean that sent a message uh, that that you know that's what protesters wanted to do is drown out mm-hmm. the the fascist uh, Nazi message. So is this the end of it? I I don't think so. Don't unfortunately I don't. We think didn't so. mention also uh, just a little bit at the very top. We mentioned uh, the, the number of reporters out there were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can I contributed to that to that <laughs> problem. And and then the the metro, I guess they didn't have a special train for them, but they did have security guards at the stations and on the trains. That's right, and they they had a what one protester called a uh, separate but equal uh, policy. So they had a uh, a car, not not a, a separate train, which is what they initially talked oh, about. Right. Yeah, reserved for the unite the right uh, pro- uh, activists. So they had a separate car for them in which nobody else can enter except, you know, if you were a Unite the Right person. Uh, the whole thing. Like, I'm a little torn it. about this because I think you have to take it seriously. I think yeah. you have to be prepared yeah. for it. I think you have to no. have, like, a, a real I mean, 
It could have been. It could yeah. have gotten ugly. It could have, and, and it also sends a message that, like, if this is what you want to do, then like we're going to be prepared for it. But at the same time, the amount of resources that we spent and contributed to this weekend for mm-hmm. twenty-five protesters. Yeah, it's actually a, a good story idea that you just gave me to look into that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, but don't forget the story about the other list of the people. <laughs> That's why you come in, you know, so we can no, give you your assignments. Uh, hat tip, your assignments. This, this is a weird media cabal here. Just like... It is. Um, on some of the other reporting, you've, you've uh, been t- following the uh, uh, the build up to the big Brett Kavanaugh hearings. That's right. Which begin, now we know they're going to begin in? Next month, early next month, September 4th, yeah. I believe. Well, the last thing we could do is to drag, uh, let a Supreme Court nomination drag out beyond the first of the year. Right? Or, <laughs> That's right. Or deny anybody the right to h- have a hearing. Well, we can't have eight justices serve for. You no, know, no, that would that would that can can happen. Particularly not in an election year. <laughs> no, I never let that happen. So, um, uh, the chairman has said this hearing start uh, next week, and. Um, What's the prospect? Any is there? Do you think there's any way Democrats can block this? Well, they're they're trying to you know get these documents, his his record, Brett Kavanaugh's record, um, as while working in the Bush White House, and they're they've been unable to get uh, years of his his work in the Bush White House because Republicans say that he's got enough of a trial record. He's been on the you know D.C. Appellate Court for. Uh, dozen years, I think. He's mm-hmm. got some 300 opinions, and they say that's enough. Democrats say, you know, he's been in the White House. He's been in an influ- influential position. He was staff, staff secretary for President Bush. You know, important uh, position where he saw a lot of documents. He could have edited memos potentially relating to wiretapping or, or uh, torture. So they want to see those. Uh, Republicans say no way, and, and right now they're yeah. the majority, and they, you know, they can call it how they want it. But I saw, I was just looking, flashing through, I forget what I saw it this morning, that, that he has, that Republicans claim I mean, that they've released like 80,000 pages of documents. They did yesterday, that's right. Yesterday, okay. Mm-hmm. And these uh, are not White House, but not White House documents. These are from his time as associate counsel under Alberto Gonzalez. Okay, uh, White which, House. Correct, correct. But what the Democrats want is the uh, staff secretary documents because he worked as staff secretary to the president after uh, working in the council's office. Um, the pages that we got yesterday, I, I looked through a lot of them. A lot of them are, you know, some of them are duplicates. You got a whole bunch of emails that are just email addresses. And it's uh, when they when people say, oh, we're releasing thousands and thousands of pages, a lot of this stuff is. Yeah, how much know, of that is relevant, huh? Right, yeah. Right. Um, and, and so, and, and what, w- it seems that the Democrats focus on what they're, you know, what they're going after changes. Right. Right. Now, uh, I guess it was, must be the Washington Post this morning that points out that, that one of the latest is uh, on regulations, that he's been kind of almost a Scott Pruitt in the sense that he's known for overturning Regulation. Fe- federal le- regulations and siding with the corporations over federal agencies. Is that the principal line of attack or is it Roe v. Wade or is it also this idea that the president can never be indicted and can, wouldn't have to stand? You know, so I keep hearing all these different yeah. 
focuses. Well, I, I think that reflects on on how Democrats have tried really to throw everything but the kitchen sink at him, and nothing really has been sticking. And the two votes that really matter, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, uh, are yet to meet with him. They, I, I believe they're they're going to meet with him this week, um, and they're still undecided. They so they say. But from their public comments, at least about Brett Kavanaugh, they've praised him as extremely well qualified, and they've said that Roe v. Wade won't be a major determining factor. It'll be one factor in their decision. So from some of this, it, it's still uh, an extreme uphill climb for Democrats, and which is why you see them you know, going the length on these documents and trying to find something they can hang this guy on. Republicans, do Republicans have enough votes is this a simple majority? Uh, for Supreme Supreme Court nominees? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, and Republicans, they've, they've, they've got a majority of votes on the Senate Judiciary Committee. That's right. So they can vote so, him out of committee. If I can vote him out of committee, they could confirm him. Let's, let's say that, sadly, John McCain would not be back to vote. Um, they, they have enough. They have enough. Still have enough votes if they hold on to every single Republican. That's right. They and, don't need. Uh, they don't need any Democrat. That's right. And uh, even if they tie, you know, Mike Pence is there to to vote for the tie break. So it's some tough math. Yeah, very tough math. Right. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> wow. <clears throat> A little. You've also, uh, you and your colleague identified uh, Matt Riley, I think, right? Or, no. Matt Fuller, our buddy Matt, Matt, Matt Fuller. Matt Fuller, Matt That's Fuller, right. sorry. I've uh, identified the 12 Trumpiest members of Congress. That's right. Of the House. Uh, how so? What, I mean, what are your qualifications for being a Trumpier? Trumpier? You know, every Republican really has done a lot to, to back up this president. I think but, they're all Trumpers now. Well. So, some more than others, and this yeah. is what we oh. kind of tried to suss out here, is list the guys and, and gals who have been his fiercest defenders, the guys who run interference for him, who you mm-hmm. know attack the Russia investigation at no end. People like Devin Nunes, who you know, says... Okay, he'd definitely be on the list. <laughs> right. So uh, you know, in the Senate, you have people like David Perdue of Georgia, uh, Rand Paul of Kentucky. Obviously, he's been in Moscow, you know, acting as everything is fine and you know they did not meddle in our election uh and people in the house like devin nunez chris collins who recently oh, got indicted, yes. uh who was the first congressman to endorse the president so uh these are his his guys who will protect him to no end in congress ron DeSantis. that's right big big uh tv guy you know you see him trump loves seeing him on tv he will defend him uh Matt Gates from Florida, also big guy that that's a huge supporter of the president. Um, and and Ron DeSantis obviously got his reward. He's uh, running for for uh, governor. For governor, that's right. And in the Republican primary, yeah, the president stepped into the primary and uh, and endorsed him. But, I mean, there's a pattern with Trump, which is that if if you you know, are willing to fight for him, he's gonna reward he's gonna reward you, and this is uh, part of his loyalty. You know. The, the, the thing that you saw that he was demanding out of James Comey refused. Right, right. Uh, you know, you, you help Trump and he'll help you. You saw that with his endorsement of Chris Kobach and now DeSantis. Yeah. Now I was just looking at some of the other ones. You mentioned Dave Perdue of Georgia. Orrin Hatch of Utah, all big time, big <laughs> yeah. time. Even on the tariffs. Right. Where Hatch has said a couple of little critical things, but still. 
right. un- unshakable loyalty. The Trump. Hatch thing has been really fascinating to watch because yeah. that's a guy yeah. that's got a long career in politics, right? Way, yeah, he's been there. Old, he's old enough. He's been there long enough. He's, he's safe, retiring. He's safe enough, and he's retiring. Yeah. He could say whatever he wants. Exactly. There's no reason for him to suck up to Trump. Yeah. No. Uh, Tom Cotton, right, who is? Tom Cotton. He's going places, man. I yeah. got a bad right. feeling about Tom Cotton. <laughs> yeah, I just get too. a bad feel about that guy. <laughs> like He could totally be president in a couple of years. Uh, you got down here. You have Mitch McConnell on your list. Yeah. I mean, Mitch McConnell, he's at least outwardly, he hasn't been, he's been quiet. He hasn't praised, you know, he's been quiet to praise Trump. But in effect, and what he's doing is he's allowed him to run rough, rough shot over the Russian investigation without moving any kind of legislation to protect it's Robert more Mueller. what he hasn't said right and what he hasn't done than that's what right. he has right he's, yeah. yeah you're right he's he's been the big enabler uh, of Trump even though I, I gotta say McConnell is not a Trump kind of yeah Republican not at all very quiet diminutive yeah right uh, Matt Gates from Florida you mentioned Devin Nunez from California Ron DeSantis from Florida we also talked about and Chris Collins from New York Kevin Mc- <laughs> yeah Kevin McCarthy of California. Your fave. Yeah. I mean, he he really has become, um, I mean, he's he's sort of already replaced Paul Ryan in terms of sucking up to Trump. I mean, it seems like he's the speaker. And the, he's the one that Trump, I think, relates to, doesn't yeah. relate to Ryan. He does to McCarthy, and McCarthy's gone out of his way to be, to be the Trumper. My Kevin is what Trump calls him. That's right, my Kevin. My Kevin. Over there, there's my Kevin. My Hello, Kevin. Kevin. Is that what he calls it? Yeah, my that's Kevin. Right. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you do have mine <laughs> <laughs> almost. And Mark Meadows, head of the Freedom Caucus. Yeah. I mean, again, the Freedom Caucus, they may make noise, but when it come, push comes to shove, they'll be there every time. They'll lay over. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. I think to really understand this That's list, great, Bill, you, great you, list, you, you said it right. I think you just have to understand that the Republican Party is the party of Donald Trump now. Yeah. So, right. like, you, and it's not that they're not all Trumpers; it's just some are Trumpier than others. Yeah, which is the, kind of the point you're making. Correct. And and the, and some have enabled him to do more. You know, been greater enablers than others, particularly when it comes to Ryan and McCarthy and That's McConnell. Right. right. Um, hold on there. Uh, Igor's going to stay with us as a friend of both for the entire hour. We're going to take a quick break, so we can bring in uh, Niels Lesniewski from Roll Call and continue the conversation. Uh, even lots of stuff we didn't yet get to uh, in news of the day. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hello, hello, hello. On a Monday, August 13, the Bill Press Show. Continuing here from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Good to have you with us with all the news of the day. And we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees. Yes, indeed, the good men and women of the AFGE who keep the federal agencies running day in and day out. Proud to get up and work for America every day under President J. David Cox. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program. And our conversation here about the news of the day with all of you continues. Igor Bobish with us as a friend of Bill and Niels Lisniewski from Roll Call joining us here uh, to um, fill out the table. Hello, Niels. Nice to see you. It's good to be back. And Igor, always good to have you with us. Hey, hey. 
Uh, we've been at it for about an hour and a half here, uh, stirring up a little dust in terms of comments. Yes, indeed. A couple of comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. One commenter, we, those, the, believe it or not, there were a lot of comments about the uh, racists that were in town over the weekend. Uh, both of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was right. a very uh-huh. small rally. Uh, one person commenting saying, maybe the white supremacists don't like being outed and fired from their jobs, or maybe they are a tiny number to begin with. Also, our buddy Phil was there. Uh, he went and he actually took some photos from it. I saw oh. some uh, stuff he put up on Twitter over the weekend. Uh, Phil says, racist rally was so pathetic that you almost feel sorry for them. Hmm. But then you remember that they are racist lowlifes. And yeah, I don't necessarily feel sorry for them anymore. Um, a couple of other comments uh, about uh, President Avenatti. Oh, we played yeah, the clip oh, of Michael Avenatti. Avenatti. He went to Iowa and openly talking about running for president. Uh, Walker says, I will point out a small difference between Avenatti and Giuliani. One tells the truth and the other is lying. I guess it's Lion Giuliani. Maybe that's his new nickname uh, from Donald Trump. If you have a comment on any topic at any time, you can find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. All righty. Thank you, Peter. What do we think about Michael Avenatti running for president? You know what? After 2016... I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, yeah, could happen. Why I know, I know. <laughs> Anything goes, right? Yeah. Hey, you know, you know he could very. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying in all seriousness, but in all seriousness, if he spends enough time in rural Iowa, he could win caucus sites. That's right. They're like you know those places where you have eleven people who show up, and he gets eight votes of eleven people because he spent days in some. A small town in rural northwest Iowa. I mean. You know, it's so funny, Bill. You've asked three different reporters today about mm-hmm. Michael mm-hmm. Avenatti, whether or not he has a shot. Mm-hmm. And no one will say this is ridiculous and it will <laughs> never happen. And I feel the same way. I, you cannot rule anything out these days. Here, here's one thing that I thought that he said that was smart, which was, and some people may disagree, which was, you know, he kind of spun that Michelle Obama line about, you know, when they go low, we go high. He said, when they go low, we hit back harder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people didn't like that because, you know, they love Michelle Obama and whatnot. But uh, he's hitting on this vein of Democrats who believe that Democrats aren't fighting back hard enough. And that's the angle that he's going to take. Yeah. I like that fight. I like yeah. that spirit. That's one thing I like about I, I do like about him. You know, we're about two years out from when Michelle Obama said that that mm-hmm. that sort of now infamous line and it it really does kind of look silly in retrospect. Because I mean that is what Hillary Clinton did. She tried to ignore some of those attacks or just sort of point out that he was like who he was and kept pushing forward and it didn't work. And if you just ignore it and try and take the high road and not have that fight, then it just continues to fester and build. So, Niels, back to your point. You realize that uh, in some of these caucuses in Iowa, he could show up with his most famous client. Uh, that would get him some votes. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, probably also true. And, 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 you know, the thing is that we don't this, – this democratic field – um, you know, the other thing is we don't know what other celebrity might appear. This is the thing that we're – Sort of when we're yeah. talking about all these senators or governors or whomever who might be uh, running for president or a slew of Democratic House members who seem to think that they think they can be the first president from the House since James K. Polk. Mm-hmm. Um, that, <laughs> you know, you don't know who's, what sort of celebrity might show up, too. I don't I don't know of any uh, 
any uh, uh, liberal uh, celebrities, but who are who are actually unless in George yet, Clooney but... finally runs, you know, people <laughs> always talk about uh, George. I'm sorry, Niels. I've got to interject here. You've re-wrong. There's already a celebrity running. His name is John Delaney. Uh, that's yeah, John Delaney that's right. President oh, Delaney. John, President Delaney. How do, how do we forget him? Yeah. All right. Now, a couple of things we haven't had a chance to talk about yet this morning. I want to get your take on. First of all, th- and so this deals with the economy. I saw this stunning. To me, it was stunning yesterday in the New York Times. All right. So follow me, right? In the 18 months before Donald Trump became president, 3.7 million new jobs were created and seven out of 10 Americans said, we're doing fine. Economy is booming on. We're doing fine. That's the 18 months before. 3.7 million new jobs, seven out of 10 Americans. In the 18 months since Donald Trump has been president, 3.4 million new jobs have been created and seven out of 10 Americans say, we're doing fine. The economy's going great. That's amazing. Basically, nothing has changed. Yeah, and if you What does at, that tell you about- <laughs> Well, it tells you that Donald Trump knows how to sell. He's a better marketer. He's, you know, every time he goes on campaign trail, he's, the economy's booming. It's amazing. But also, if you look at unemployment charts, you know, even the, the main unemployment line or even like the African-American uh, unemployment line, it's essentially just been going down, straight down, before Trump got mm-hmm. elected, during Trump's presidency. Uh, and yet he's uh, claiming that he's had a lot to do with it. Yeah. So, 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 but if I can take this to the next step. Yeah. Is assuming that we sort of at some point in time hit a bottom here in the unemployment, which is a good thing for the economy, but we hit that, we hit that, it, and it has to start going in the other direction at some point, and, right. and probably the tariff stuff doesn't help. But does he want, if you're, if you're Trump, not if you're the Republican Party, but if you're Trump, do you want Speaker Nancy Pelosi so you have someone to blame <laughs> the unemployment rate going up on <laughs> rather than being all Republicans yeah. in charge? Well, yeah, and, and to me, it just shows that it almost doesn't matter who's in charge, right? <laughs> you know, like you could have a robot. Maybe we do, right? In charge and under Obama and under Trump, with all the different factors and everything else they're doing, basically, it's just it's just moving forward with very little change. I found that fascinating at any rate. Yeah. That no, no, no. So and, what you're and saying as you is- say, though, Trump, if you hear Trump, this is the greatest economy we've ever had. We've created more jobs than ever before, blah, blah, blah. It's just not true. Right. Not so, true. So what you're saying is Michael Avenatti could be president. I am saying that. <laughs> I'm saying a gorilla could be president. <laughs> I, I don't know. All right. Now, the other thing we haven't talked about, and this is uh, disturbing a little bit in the sense that it's got so much news over the weekend. What? A, how many of us knew that you could just climb onto any airplane sitting on the tarmac and take off with it? You don't even need a key. You don't even need to turn it on. Well, now that I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. This is an uh, unbelievable yeah. story, isn't yeah. it? I mean, I mean sad and, uh, ending. But... Yes, but obviously someone who has access to a maintenance worker or some kind of ground support personnel has access to the plane. Who would have and... thunk it, right? Yeah, that and you they... could just walk up on the plane and thank God nobody else was on board, right? I would hope that if passengers were on board, there might have been a pilot there. But. Well, but, but you know, and, and God forbid, but what I, the, of course, the thought that those of us who have, those of us who have been around and lived in this city for a while or New York for a while, the, yeah. the, the, 
the the first thought that came into my head was how difficult would it be for someone who had very ill intentions sure uh to sort of for lack of a better term play the long game and get a job as a maintenance worker at a mm-hmm. major airport and just sort of hold that job for 5 years and then yeah you know and that's that's well, the that, terrifying it does part. raise all those questions about security at airports particularly now if we know for maintenance crews and ground ground crews what i want to know is he he knew how to take the plane up, but he didn't know how to land it. Like, how do you? How, but the idea <laughs> that he could take off, right? Unbelievable! And the stunts that he performed <laughs> with this plane are stunts that people thought the plane was incapable of. You know, he did these total like the barrel rolls, barrel, barrel rolls. roll. Yeah, you, you know, I, I saw an inter. Or I heard an interesting interview with someone who who is a uh, uh, aviation security expert who was saying like, we have spent especially since 9-11, so much time and energy and effort into making sure that passengers are safe, pilots are mm-hmm. safe. Um, you know, the screening process is a lot more difficult now uh, post 9-11. But one thing they never really addressed was just plane safety. You know, you can't lock a plane door. You know, they were saying, like, you could kind of get in there. You can't like, there's not a key that you need to start a plane. We were talking about this before the show. You could just go in and start an airplane. <laughs> but it's such a ludicrous idea that no one's ever done it. And they haven't really done much to protect, a, you know, a plane. I don't understand also. Um, he obviously didn't know how to land the plane, but he was able to, I guess because he played these flight simulator games that they were able to take off. But the the idea that he could move the plane from wherever it was to the runway and take off and the air traffic controllers didn't sense something's wrong here. This plane is not on our list of planes that we're Mm -hmm. following and didn't have, you know, I don't know, trucks go out there and block it or I don't know, whatever. It's it's so many questions. It's almost as as bizarre as Omarosa taking (laughs) her phone into the into the situation room. It's just never happened before. (laughs) Nobody thought that you would need to screen somebody. And then the conversations that he was having with the air traffic controllers. I mean, um, you know, yeah, I just guess guess I got a screw loose or so or something like that. And uh, he wasn't totally crazy, right? I mean, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Did do do we have any of that uh, audio, Peter? I didn't know whether we... There was so much of it, I, I just read... Those conversations. I, I pulled one clip, just sort of shows yeah. the confusion of everything that was going on between air traffic control and the. Here's here's what it sounded like. Damn it, Andrew! People's lives are at stake here. Now, Rich, don't don't say stuff like that. Nah, I just told you I'm not. I don't want to hurt no one. I just want you to whisper sweet nothing in my ear. What? Like, what is going on? It's that's, crazy. That's yeah, really sad for his family and everything, but they're. But I just, <clears throat> I'm sure there's going to be a lot of a serious investigation into into what happened there. Uh, so, Niels, you've been writing about Congressman Chris Collins. Hmm. Ah, or shall we yes. start calling him former congressman? This is too, too well, early for that. Well, he, he's he's decided to suspend his campaign uh, for re-election. Uh, he made that decision over the weekend, and. And so Collins, who has been indicted on a series of charges, uh, including insider trading and wire fraud, uh, as well as lying to the FBI, no, never good things to uh, That's to the one that's really going to hurt him. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, by the way, if it's yeah. just, is taking the phone into the situation room, uh-huh. um, Omarosa, 
Chris Collins, that's reminded, he he did the insider trading from the White House grounds. The, CB, C, the CBS crew had video of him on the phone call because they were shooting, like, B-roll at the event at the White House the that day. The congressional picnic yeah. on the South Amazing. Lawn. So he was that's another <laughs> on the South Lawn. Uh, telling his son, hey, we got a problem with that uh, uh, pharmaceutical company, whatever it was, right? <laughs> Chris Collins could take the plane off, but he could not land it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, so the, the thing that uh, the thing that is very, so strange about other than the Collins situation is strange in its own right. But one thing that you got to watch out for, because this is the state of New York with very antiquated election laws and ballot access rules. Yeah. It's there is this whole question as to whether even if Collins manages to get his name off of the Republican line, mm -hmm. he has also been cross endorsed, I think it's by the Independence Party. Hmm. Uh and I don't know if he was cross endorsed by the Conservative Party. But so they have so many different political parties in New York State, minor parties that cross endorse but all have ballot lines. That it's possible Chris Collins' name will still be on the ballot. It's hard in to get him off the yeah. ballot, right? Yeah. Particularly at this point, do they have another candidate, or does it does it mean that there would be no other Republican? A Democrat could possibly take that seat. A Democrat could take the seat. There are uh, Republicans uh, in the Buffalo area who are coming out of the woodwork to express interest in it, including. Carl Palladino, the former Republican nominee oh, for boy. governor in the Whoa, state of New York. Oh boy! Wow, we that I mean, the time feels right for a re resurgence <laughs> of Carl Palladino. Yeah, it does. Remember Yikes. this super racist? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just thinking because uh, someone earlier, Elena Schneider, was here from uh, Politico, mentioned that in Minnesota, they're thinking that Tim Pawlenty could come back. I mean, these people never disappear, <laughs> right? They never die. Oh, just... He's bored. He's got nothing else to do. <laughs> right. Right. He's just hanging out there waiting for their next chance. I, I, I don't know why. You know, if Chris Collins was representing Staten Island, for example, I would just say he should lean into it and be like, so what? I trade it. You know, reelect me. That would be the Trumpy thing to do. Right. That would be the Trumpy thing. Well, that's to do. the other so thing. So what? Access Hollywood. Yeah, I said it would grab women by their whatever. Yeah, so what? I'm running for president. What I'm not surprised, what I'm Trump. actually surprised, and I, <laughs> Collins, I guess, is categorically denying everything is a legal matter, so he mm -hmm. can't do this. But in another sense, I would, I, I was almost surprised he didn't come out and say, "This is Chris Ray and James Comey, and right. you know, this hunt. is the, this is, a, this is all oh, part yeah. of the witch hunt because I'm a Trump supporter." And I, I, I was kind of surprised that didn't happen because. He could have played the pardon game here instead right. of the uh, the I didn't do it game. He still could if he if he you know gets charged. He could still play the pardon game. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. If he had done that right away, there would have been. I mean, Fox and Friends would have gone with it. Everybody, you know, the Trumpers sort of certainly believed it, and I bet Donald Trump would have tweeted out in support of him. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think that's. I think that that was a. Uh, I don't want to say it's a miscalculation not to accuse the FBI of a witch hunt, but as a political matter, it might have been. Yeah, right. We talked a little bit earlier about maybe before you got here, Niels, about the fact that the Republican Party, and, and that was your story about the Trumpers, right, uh, in the Congress, the Trumpiest members of Congress, that the Republican Party today really is the Donald Trump Party. It's the Trump Party, no longer the Republican Party. To me, the the greatest evidence of that 
is a Republican congressional response to tariffs. I mean, the old Republican Party, one thing you have to say, they did not like tariffs. They were anti-tariffs. Now, this president has imposed all these tariffs and threatened to impose more, and Republicans have suddenly flipped on this, changed their mind on this, admitted they were wrong all along about tariffs, or what? I mean, what's Mitch McConnell done about it? Even though Kentucky bourbon now is subject to a tariff. So McConnell did an event on, I think it was on Friday, uh, in in Louisville at a manufacturing facility uh, where he was there to tout tax cuts, as Mitch McConnell often will do. Uh, But, of course, the first question he got was about tariffs. And, uh, and, And he sort of hedged on it and said that he was on board with what Trump was doing regarding China, but was very careful to not endorse anything else that he was doing on trade policy. So that's how he seems to be trying to thread the needle is saying, yes, we should be harder on China. I'm not really going to talk about Canada or Mexico or the European Union or whatever, Um, because he as he was pointing out, he said that he had he had here. He had been hearing nonstop basically from Toyota uh, for people who are not aware uh, in in Georgetown, Kentucky, uh, is basically where all of the Camrys are assembled. Um, those foreign Japanese cars uh, are, are assembled in Kentucky. It is surprising, or isn't it, how quickly they just decided not to fight it, roll over, go along with it? Well, it's, a, it's a big issue for I, them. I mean, I think the the midterms are a factor. They don't they don't want to rock the boat so close <clears> to the midterms. Uh, Put up a fight. There have been a couple of Republican senators, Jeff Flake, Bob Corker, Pat Toomey, who have been trying to do something. But even they really, uh, you know, the most they got was a show vote, of a non-binding resolution. Um, and, you know, uh, where they go from there, I, I don't know. It's I, it, Mitch McConnell has indicated he's not going to put any kind of legislation on the floor because he fears, you know, he wants to keep the Senate majority. He wants to keep that intact. And, and why risk that by, you know, forcing this confrontation with the president. Right. Um, One other story that we touched on just uh, briefly earlier. Um, So you're both in pretty good health here. Um, So do you guys use these electric scooters? Oh, absolutely not. No. No. I I can't say I have. Well, so San Francisco, I was interested to see last night. San Francisco has banned them. Really? Yeah. As just being a, a hazard. Well, maybe I should move to San Francisco. <laughs> right. But I think they are. Has a, I mean, these they're fast. They, these people uh, use them on the sidewalks, not in the streets. And being in the streets, that's dangerous enough. On the sidewalk, they could run you down. And they just, I, I, I find they, I don't know, just accident. Have you, have you tried using one? Are you kidding? No. <laughs> First of all, I would not make a fool of myself by trying to use one. I also, I do admire the ability of these people to just stand up straight on them, by the way. Yeah, well, but, so I, 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 I think and, actually that they work, I've, I've seen them work fairly well in what are like protected bike lanes, mm-hmm. uh, like on Pennsylvania Avenue yeah, on, okay, on the other right. side of the I Capitol. I can see that, sure. But that seems like the only place they belong if i'm you know in terms of where in this the way that dc is set up at least in, is that there are very limited paths where it seems like they're a a, a uh, useful uh, idea 
As opposed I, to I see them places. all the time on the sidewalk, not in the bike lanes, and never slowing down because of anybody else happening to be on the bike. It's like they just think that's my lane. <laughs> I fully agree with you. Bound to happen. Ban them. We're just all, <laughs> all old fashioned here. No, no. Peter's, There's a lot of clouds here that we're angry yelling at right now. Just, Peter's got <laughs> his own. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. No, I have not, and probably will not. Uh, there, there is the other thing of almost the clutter or litter aspect of it too, which is the rule is you just leave them wherever you want to. That's right. Yeah. So uh, you've got that, and you've got the dockless bikes also. So yeah, a whole bunch of things on on the sidewalk these days. All that we can complain about. <laughs> oh, guys, oh, guys uh, on the lawn. Uh, get off my lawn, right? Get off yeah. my lawn. <laughs> um, how do we feel about chain migration these days? Well, I can tell you two people who love it. Uh, Melania Trump's parents, who recently... <laughs> Just this weekend yeah. became citizens of the United States. C- congratulations to them. Welcome to the United States of America. Well, we always have to carve out exceptions to the rules. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. It is ironic, Niels, you yeah, must admit. Yeah, it, 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 it is. Uh, that, was, that, was, uh, that was not uh, an explanation that if I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know that oh, I'm, right. if I would not want to be Sarah Sanders anyway, but that's a good one for a White House press briefing. Uh, do you think that this is okay? Well, you know, the program uh, is like officially called Family-based immigration, right, or family reunification, except by Donald Trump, who calls it chain migration. That's uh, right. Uh, I, I don't think the first lady was at the ceremony. Oh, at, at I, their naturalization ceremony? I yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I didn't see that. We know the president of the United States was not there <laughs> right. when his in-laws became citizens of the United States. So. Um, well, with all of that, a president comes back to town today, and Congress comes back on Senate comes Senate back. Senate comes on. back on Wednesday. The House is staying in recess. Fun for us. Yeah, fun for us. They got some campaigning to do. <laughs> yeah. So the senators, when Mitch McConnell doesn't want want them out there. Hey, great to see both of you. Thanks so much for coming in. You go, Bobish. Follow at HuffPost, HuffPost.com, and Niels Lisniewski at RollCall, RollCall.com. And have a great day, folks. See you tomorrow. Show. There we go.